right. Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, if you have kids that are kindergarten to third grade, they can dismiss out the back uh, for Children's Church. Uh, if you're with us today, you can turn to John chapter 6. That's where we will be. Uh, today, we're continuing in our series that we are calling Miraculous Encounters. Uh, and in this series, we are looking at the miracles of Jesus and what it is they teach us about Jesus, but also uh, what it is they teach us about us and how it is that we uh, relate with Jesus. Um, and today we come to an incredible encounter with Jesus. It's an encounter that won't just be experienced by one like we have been seeing, but it's a miracle and an encounter that will be experienced by the whole crowd. And this miraculous encounter is one that I believe we can all relate with. It begins with a problem. We're going to see people look all over for a solution, and then ultimately we're going to see that Jesus is the one that provides a solution for the problem at hand, but also for their ultimate problem, which is their sin and their lack of a relationship with God. And because we relate with this because we have problems. We have problems that are, that are bigger than us and that feel out of our control, problems that, that leave us searching for any sort of a solution. And so that's the setting. It's a, a problem and then a miraculous encounter uh, with Jesus will prove to be the solution. One of the interesting notes about this miracle is that it is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said that it's in all four Gospels so that we won't forget how much the Lord can do with little things that are yielded to Him. I like that, and I hope that we uh, can leave this building confident in our faith and confident that God can do more in our lives and with our lives when we yield to Him than we can do in our own power. So we're in John chapter 6. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. John writes, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a year, than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for the, the opportunity to come and to gather and to worship you, Lord. We thank you uh, for this passage of Scripture, Lord. We thank you uh, that you are our provider and our sustainer. God, we thank you that, that you are uh, the one that we can turn to in all times. Uh, God, and we thank you most of all that you have made a way, made a solution to our greatest need, which is our sin. So, God, I pray that as we walk through this passage, that you would, uh, that you would move in our lives, that you would work in our lives and open our hearts and our minds to uh, what it is that you are trying to teach us today. God, and I pray that you would give us the courage and the faithfulness to follow you. Uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, we praise you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. 
So anytime we drop into a passage of scripture like this, one of the first things we have to do is pause and understand the context in which this passage unfolds. And at this time in Jesus' ministry, he has been preaching, he has been traveling, and he has been performing miracles. He has healed the leper, which we saw. He has healed the paralyzed. He has healed the sick. And he has turned water to wine. And so in the countryside of Judea, throughout these small towns, the streets are abuzz with talk about Jesus. But most of the people following him are there to be healed, or they are there to see the miracles occur. You see, people in the first century are just like people today. When there is something big going on, we want to see it. We want to be a part of it. And so everywhere Jesus goes, the crowd follows. But there's another element uh, and context to this passage for us to understand. Matthew records the feeding of the 5,000 back in Matthew chapter 14. And we learn in Matthew's account that tragedy has just hit Jesus' life. In verse 10 of Matthew 14, we learn that Jesus' ministry partner, his friend, and his cousin, John the Baptist, has just been executed by King Herod. It says when Jesus heard the news, he tried to get away from the crowds. He tried to get away to thank, to mourn, to grieve. But when he withdrew from the crowds, they found him and they followed him. The crowds have followed him, and they have followed him in mass. He is trying to get alone to mourn, but here comes the crowd. It almost has the feel of kind of like the the modern-day paparazzi. I don't keep up with celebrity gossip, but sometimes it just finds you, doesn't it? And I know it's really hard to feel bad for these mega-celebrities, but the paparazzi will camp out outside their home. They will take pictures through their windows and into their back doors. They will follow them as they drive. And at some point, you're like, just leave them alone. And so that's Jesus. He wants to get away and and to mourn the loss of his friend. But all of these people show up, and they follow him. The other thing to consider is this. When when the Bible says that there were 5,000 people there, it said there were 5,000 men. That means in reality, biblical scholars estimate that there's closer to 20,000 people that meet him as he looks for a quiet place to grieve. But listen to what verse 14 of Matthew 14 says and what it reveals about Jesus. Matthew writes, as he, Jesus, stepped ashore, he saw this huge crowd, and it says he felt compassion for them. And so that's our first point today. Jesus saw the crowd, and he felt compassion for them. That's absolutely amazing. Jesus sees the crowd, and he has compassion on them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see crowds, when I'm in the midst of the crowds... Compassion is not usually the first emotion I feel. Or when you think about the celebrities being followed by the paparazzi, very rarely do they have compassion on them. No, instead we hear about them because they get so frustrated that they verbally or physically assault them. But that's not Jesus. When Jesus sees the crowd, he has compassion on them. Jesus is trying to get away to mourn the death of his friend, but the crowds follow. and He doesn't grow annoyed, frustrated, or angry, but instead he has compassion on them. I think so often we, we transfer our sinfulness and our emotions onto Jesus. And we assume that coming to Jesus in prayer with our problems is going to be an annoyance to him. Or that he has bigger things to do than deal with us and our problems. But please hear me, that is not who Jesus is and that is not truth. Jesus sees you, he loves you, and he has compassion on you. No matter what you're going through, no matter uh, what your past looks like, no matter how big or small the problem, Jesus is not annoyed, but he sees you, and he loves you, and he has compassion on you. 
That's such an amazing truth. Jesus sees the crowd, and he has compassion on them. But this large crowd does present a logistical problem, doesn't it? 20,000 people are gathered in the desert, and they are a long way from a Walmart or a Smith's. But the problem is twofold. The first problem is immediate. It's temporal. They're in the middle of nowhere. These people uh, picked up and followed Jesus, and they're hungry. But on the other hand, the the crowd is also encountering a spiritual problem, a problem that, that most of them may not even recognize. They are following Jesus for a show, but the reality is they have a spiritual need, a sin problem that's left them separate from God. They're in need of a Savior, and Jesus is going to be the answer to both of their problems. And for us, it's the same. We, for one, we face temporal problems daily, weekly, and throughout our lives. I'm sure it wouldn't take you long to think of a problem that you are facing today. Maybe it's in your life. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your work within, with friends. Maybe it's a physical need like food in this instance or sickness or relational need. But we all have those problems that we are facing On the other hand, the Bible tells us we also have a spiritual need that Jesus says that the Bible says that Jesus is the only solution for. The Bible says we were created to be in a relationship with God, but we have all sinned or done things that go against God. Romans 6.23 says the wage or the consequence of that sin is death and separation from God. So we all face separation from God or in the need of a a solution, which Romans 6.23 also tells us that Jesus is that solution. It reads, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we're going to get to that problem. That's kind of a snapshot of what's going on in this passage. So the issue is the people need to eat physically, but they also have a spiritual need to be forgiven. Let's pick up in verse 5, and let's see what the the disciples' first solution to their problem is. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages, or 200 denarii, to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. So Jesus, knowing the solution, decides to test Philip in his faith and ask him, what would your solution be to this crisis, Philip? And Philip does what we often do, doesn't he? He immediately looks to himself, his own resources, his strengths, his reserves to solve the problem. And so the first place that we tend to turn in the midst of need or crisis is that we look to our own uh, resources. Jesus asked Philip, where are we going to get bread for all these people? And the wheels, they start turning in Philip's head. He says 200 denarii or, or half a year's wages. That wouldn't be enough for everyone to eat even just a little. And a denarii represented like a peasant or farm laborer's daily wage. So it would be like a a day's salary at minimum wage. So 200 denarii today might be worth uh, $12,000 to $16,000, somewhere in there. That's a significant amount of money, but that's not nearly enough to feed the 20,000 plus gathered with them. Not to mention the issues uh, of finding enough food to buy in the middle of nowhere. In Green River, we feel like we're in the middle of nowhere sometimes. But they are like middle of the red desert nowhere. There are no options to buy food even if they had the money. But beyond those issues, the 200 denarii, it's a significant number because it likely represented all that the disciples had in the treasury. Meaning that when a problem arose, Philip's solution was to simply look to his resources, their collective resources. And he immediately recognized even that wasn't enough. He thought about all that they had. And knew it wasn't enough. 
This is what we typically do as well when problems arise. We're Americans. We, we live in Wyoming. When there's a problem, we figure it out and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, don't we? Now, that's not a bad thing to be independent and to take personal responsibility, but there are times like this where we simply cannot solve the problem on our own. Sometimes we have to ask for help. Sometimes we have to get counseling. Sometimes we need a neighbor's hand. Sometimes we need to. And more often than not, we need to come to Jesus and just admit we can't do it on our own, and we need to be open to receiving help. Think about it. Every January, what what do we do? We make resolutions, and by mid-January, if you're really good, early February, we've forgotten about them. Like Philip, we're often in a situation where we are not the solution. That's especially true in our spiritual lives. You walk into a bookstore or a library, if you browse the Kindle store, one of the biggest and most popular sections of literature is self-help. Books where authors and readers try to fill this spiritual void, this spiritual need by improving oneself and making oneself better. Or you look at other religions, and many of them are about making yourself better, finding peace with with yourself, or being the very best version of yourself. But the Bible tells us we can't work our way to heaven. But it's only through Jesus that we can be in relationship with God and inherit eternal life. Philip's best answer to the Lord's question about how to handle a God-sized task is to work hard himself, to turn to his own resources, but he quickly realizes that's not enough. We see the next response in the life of Andrew. Andrew here, he shows some initiative and some wisdom in his response, but he still fails to take into account that whom he is talking to. Andrew's solution is to look to others, to pool resources and see what's available. He says to Jesus, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? But to get to that response and know about this boy, you would have to imagine he has already scoured the crowd. He has talked and shared and asked who has food. And the result of his search is one little boy with five barley loaves and two fish. And so Andrew's response is to rely on the resources and wisdom of others. And that's, that's the second place we often turn is we will turn to others or to outside help uh, when we face a trial. And while that's not an intrinsically bad response by Andrew, like we said, he has failed to take into account the one who can ultimately solve the problem, which is Jesus. Often when we have a crisis, long before we go to Jesus, we instead go and seek the advice, counsel, and wisdom of a friend or of a blog or a Google search. And so Andrew goes out and he looks for resources. But unfortunately, the people are ill-equipped and ill-prepared to solve the issue at hand. Apparently, nobody in the crowd thought to pack for dinner. And that's kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? At least in our family, both uh, immediate and extended, I think when we start planning a trip, the first thing we do is figure out where our meals are coming from. But somehow, 19,999 people have overlooked dinner. And so Andrew goes looking, and there's just this one little boy with a sack lunch containing five barley loaves and two fish. And when I hear five barley loaves and two fish, I think of five large loaves of bread and, you know, two 16-inch trout. But from what I've read this week, that's, that's far from the reality. These were uh, likely just small, uh, little biscuit breads that were common for the poor. They were tasteless, and so they would be seasoned with a little sardine in hopes of giving the bread some flavor. And so this little boy's rations are limited at best in terms of quality and quantity. 
And Andrew reports on what he has found, and everything he says emphasizes the inadequacy of the crowd. The wisdom of man, the resources of man, the desires of man in this world are all inadequate to our need. But Jesus is sufficient when we turn and give him all we have. That blog you read, that that friend you have with all the advice, the self-help book or the podcast will ultimately fall short in some way if you rely on that solely for your solutions. We are instead called to be a people that turn our problems and our burdens and our trials to Jesus. When crisis hits, turn to Jesus. Now, if we turn back to Matthew 14, that other account of this, we see yet another common response to crisis or trial in our lives. If you pick up in verse 15, it reads, When evening came, the disciples approached Jesus and said this, They said, this place is a wilderness and it is already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So in this account, the first response of the disciples is to ignore the problem or to pass it off to someone else. So often we have the same response when trial comes to our lives. We deny the existence of the problem or we try to pass it off to someone else. Now, I can't speak for all of you, but this is, I think, one of my go-to responses. For example, I personally know very little about cars. But there are those times that you know something is not quite right with the car. It starts idling rough. It makes funny noises. It pulls left or right. But because I know so little about cars, my response is usually, well, maybe it'll work itself out. Unfortunately, I don't think that's ever happened. That's one of our go-to responses. Pastor Steve Andrews said, By ignorance, I'm referring to ignoring the problem, not, not a lack of intelligence. In Matthew's account of the story, he reveals that some of the disciples told Jesus to send the people away. Send the people away. Some of the disciples adopted a belief system that said, If we don't have to look at the problem, then it's not our problem. He continued, Marriages end in divorce because couples ignore problems until massive pain has been inflicted upon each other. Parents ignore warning signs of drug abuse, hoping it will go away. Ignoring problems is one of the most destructive behavior patterns we can have. And so although a common response, denial, or pleading ignorance is never a good response when a problem, a challenge, a trial arises in our lives. It's also not a good response in regards to our spiritual condition of sin. This is what we would call an agnostic They don't believe or care to believe that there is anything beyond this world. They essentially ignore or deny the existence of God. But the Bible tells us there is a God, and we have to decide whether or not we will follow him. We are not the judge of whether or not there is a God. And the Bible speaks of of separation from God in hell if we choose not to follow him or if we choose just to deny him. So denial isn't a legitimate option. And neither was denial a legitimate option for the disciples. In verse 6, it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd and he felt compassion for them. And I love his response to the disciples when they say, well, let's just get rid of the crowd. Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You need to give them something to eat. Jesus doesn't deny the need. He doesn't turn the people away, but he has compassion on them. And we're going to see he will provide the solution to their need. The next response we see is from this little boy. What a a cool response it is. With the help of Andrew, this little boy comes before Jesus with his meager rations, and he gives all that he has to Jesus. 
So the next response, or the best response, is to, to give our need, to give our problem to Jesus. It's kind of amazing. Because this little boy, he had that mom that sends a cooler or snacks or a sack of sandwiches anytime you leave the house. And so this little guy, he really does not have a problem. This little boy has dinner. He has food. His need is met. But he recognizes that there are others without a meal, and he gives everything he has to Jesus. And when he gives it to Jesus, Jesus then works a miracle, multiplies the food, and feeds the entire crowd. This little boy commits everything he has. He gives it all away, and Jesus multiplies it. Charles Swindoll said of the passage, The size of a challenge should never be gauged in terms of our capability. What we have to offer will never be enough. God never calls us to provide. That's his responsibility. Instead, he calls us to commit whatever we have, whatever we have even if it's no more than a sack lunch. And this little boy is a beautiful picture of what the church and what the Christian is called to do. If you think about it, uh, the reality is from a purely selfish standpoint, if you are a follower of Jesus, then your sins are forgiven and your eternity is secure. So in a lot of ways, you are like this little boy. You're good. You're covered. But when you look beyond yourself, there is a huge problem. There are people walking around us daily. There are thousands in our community and billions across the world that don't know Jesus, their Lord and Savior. And they have a huge problem. And so as Christians, we have a choice. Will we give all we have for others, as this little boy did? Or will we, or will we sit safe and secure in our own salvation? In Jesus' final words, he laid out the mission to the church and to the Christian. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a huge call and a huge problem. A problem that we are no more equipped to solve than this little boy was with five loaves of bread and two tiny fish. But like this little boy, we have to be willing to give our lives, to give up our time, to give up our resources and let God do the multiplication. We can't save our friends in our own power, but we are called to give of ourselves completely for their sake. To surrender our will and trust that God will save those we love. And we get the privilege of being a part of it. But the tragedy is this. There are a lot of, a lot of Christians that are content to sit on their salvation and never be used. They're willing to sit there and eat their five loaves of bread and two fish and scoff at the 19,999 who didn't prepare a meal for themselves. Sometimes we even get self-righteous about it, saying, well, if you would have been more prepared, you could have eaten too. And we say, you get what you get. If you are a follower of Jesus, are you a person that scoffs, criticizes, and avoids those who don't know Jesus? Or does your heart break for those who don't yet know him? Are you willing to sacrifice, to give of yourself and your resources so that others may know Jesus? Are you willing to surrender your life, your comfort, your talents, your plans so that others might know the hope of Jesus? Because the promise of the Bible and the promise of this passage is that when we surrender our lives for Jesus, when we surrender our resources for Jesus, he will use them and he will multiply them beyond what we can do in our own power. The promise is when we give of our lives, he will do the miraculous and he will save. A month or so ago, we spent weeks looking at our church's vision. And our vision is to be a church that serves our community, that shares Jesus, uh, that strengthens believers, and then sends them back out to the community to serve and share Jesus. 
Our vision is to make this community a better place, to reach the nations and to share the hope of Jesus with them. As we said, there are a lot of Christians who spend their whole life strengthening themselves and never fulfilling their calling. We believe you are strengthened, matured in your faith, a growing follower of Jesus, not for intellectual ascent. But you are those things so that you can be sent out to be a better friend, neighbor, coworker, boss, and, ambas- and ambassador of Jesus to our community. You are strengthened so that you can love, serve, and share Jesus with those around you. And so Jesus finds this little boy, and this little boy gives everything he has to Jesus to be used by him. There are no strings attached when he turns over his meal to Jesus. He doesn't hold back uh, uh, one loaf and one fish for himself. He completely gives it to Jesus with no guarantee of return. It's so often when we give of our lives, when we give of our times, when we give of our money, we do so with strings attached. But that's not this boy. And that is not the call and expectation of the Bible. We give freely with no strings, just as this little boy does. He gives his all to Jesus and trusts it to him. How many of us today would be willing to do that? To give like that, to selflessly trust Jesus with all we have so that everyone around us might be filled. So that everyone around us might know the hope of Jesus. And with that, Jesus tells the disciples that to have the people sit down and prepare to eat. you imagine being a disciple when Jesus says that? You can only imagine the look on their faces as they look to those five loaves and those two fish. And then they look to one another and then they look to Jesus. But they do as they're told. Jesus gives thanks and it says everyone ate until they were full. And in that, we see that the disciples, even though they didn't know what was going on, had to be willing to be used. They prepare the crowd for the food. And other accounts say they distribute the food. And so we give our problems, our lives, our desires, our needs to God. But then we have to be willing to be used, even when we don't know what the outcome is. We see that with the disciples. They don't quite understand how or what Jesus is doing, but they are willing to be used. And as followers of Jesus, we give our lives willing to be used, not as we desire, but as he desires. Jesus provides And they take on the responsibility of serving the food. God provides for the need, and the disciples are tasked with dispersing that provision. And so if you're here today and you're searching for answers, the good news is this, that that Jesus provides the solution. We mentioned it earlier, but the Bible says that everyone has sinned, everyone has gone against God, has lied, has cheated, has stolen, and so on. And because God is holy and perfect, the Bible says the wages of that sin is death and separation from God. But the good news is the Bible says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The promise is that God loves you so much. He desires to be in a relationship with you. He desires to forgive you. And because of that, Jesus comes and he takes the penalty, the death that your sins deserve. He dies on the cross for your sins and he takes the the penalty you deserve. He rises victorious three days later over death. He has provided for you and out of his love and compassion, he has taken your sin to the cross. But you have to receive the gift and follow him. And so if you're here today and you're looking for answers, you're looking for a purpose, you are overwhelmed by past choices and failures, the good news is that God loves you and he has compassion on you and he has made a way through the death of Jesus for you to be forgiven. But you have to ask for that forgiveness. You have to follow after him. He has provided a solution for that ultimate problem. 
which we all share, but you have to turn and follow him. And so if that's you and you're here today or you're watching online, would you trust Jesus today? Would you follow him today? Maybe for you, you just need to begin the, the journey of discovering who Jesus is, discovering whether or not you can trust and follow him. Begin reading the Bible. Start with the book of John. Talk with a friend, a family member, myself. Find someone that you know that is a follower of Jesus and ask your questions. Discover who he is. Jesus loves you, and he is the, the solution to your greatest need, your greatest problem, if you will turn and follow him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, us as a, as a church, we're like these disciples. God has made a way. He has provided what those around us need. But the question is, are we willing to be used to disperse that good news to others? Are we willing to be used to share Jesus with those that need to hear of the hope, life, and love that exists through him alone? Because if we read ahead, Jesus' real purpose wasn't merely to provide dinner for a night, but to provide satisfaction that was eternal through himself. If you go to verse 26, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God, uh, on him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, just to believe in the one he has sent. And then Jesus declared in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When we turn our lives, when we turn our problems over to Jesus, he doesn't merely provide for our physical, temporal, or immediate needs, but he provides for our eternal, spiritual satisfaction which is only available in him. Yes, he met the physical needs of 20,000, but his real desire was to meet their spiritual needs, which is only available in him, the forgiveness of their sins in a relationship with God. So again, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, he doesn't promise you a fortune. He doesn't promise you will never struggle or that all your problems will disappear, but he does promise that if you follow him, he is faithful to forgive you for your sins. He promises you will spend eternity with him in heaven and he will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. So what is it that today that you are holding on to that you need to give to the Lord? For some of you, it's a problem that you need to give to God and trust Him with. For others, maybe you're like this little boy, and you have what you need, but God is calling you to sacrifice what you have for those in the community and the world who don't yet know Him. If that's you, I trust He will show you exactly what He wants you to surrender and give. Don't be content to eat your bread and fish and watch the rest of the crowd go hungry. Let us not be people who are content to sit in our salvation and watch the rest of the world die and go to hell. If that is you, I pray that God would give you a heart for the lost around you, that he would give you compassion for your neighbor, and that he would convict you of the selfishness that exists in your life. And for some, you are already doing this. You are surrendering what you have. You are sacrificing your time, your money, your comforts, and your preferences so others might know Jesus. If that's you, my prayer for you today is that you would be encouraged. That you would know that when you sacrifice for the Lord, it is never in vain. And that you can trust that God will use whatever you have surrendered uh, to Him to reach those around you with the good news. And we've talked about it, but finally, you may be here and you may recognize that you are one of the people in the crowd that are hungry. You're longing for a hope. You're longing for forgiveness. And Jesus says to you, I am the bread of life. Come and follow me, and you will never grow hungry or thirsty. 
He has paid the penalty for your sins. He offers you forgiveness, abundance, and eternal life. He offers you a peace that surpasses all understanding, but you must follow and put your faith in him. So today, if that's you, my prayer is that you will put your faith and trust in Jesus and make him Lord of your life. That you will experience his forgiveness today and give all of your life to him. So as we wrap up, Melinda, she's going to come and she's just going to play for us a song. And we're going to pause and we're going to bow our head and we're going to reflect on what Jesus is teaching us. We're going to reflect on what he is calling us to. So for you, what is the trial? What is the, the problem that you are trying to navigate right now? The encouragement from this passage is not to solve it on your own, but to give it to Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, what is holding you back from surrendering and trusting him with your life? If you'd like to ask questions or you'd like to surrender today, you can do that in your seat or you can come and talk with me. I'll be on the front row as Melinda plays. And for the follower of Jesus, what is God calling you to give for others? Maybe you're worried about the problem. Maybe you're trying to solve them on your own. What is he calling you to give? Turn the problem to Jesus and trust him to provide for you and for others. Melinda's going to play. I'd ask you just to bow your head and pray and ask God 